You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. We want to welcome you to our first online service here at Calvary. Now, just so this doesn't feel weird, I am not preaching to an empty room. I'm preaching to the Calvary staff. I'm preaching to some of my family. And throughout the room, we have mannequins set up. So it looks like you're here. All of those mannequins are representing you. So you're at home, but the mannequins are here. Uh, and, and they're like some of you that you don't respond at all. So anyway, they are not responding to any of my jokes. They're just staring back at me. Anyway, I'm glad that you're here. So I have a question as we get started. And that is, uh, have, number one, have you ever been in love? And number two, have you ever done anything stupid because you were in love? Now, if you answered yes to the first and no to the second, you probably haven't really been in love. And here's why. is because love makes you do crazy things. When my wife and I started dating, about two months into our relationship was Valentine's Day. It was our first Valentine's Day as a couple. We started dating the day after Christmas in 1992. And so when January 1st came around, I went to a store to look for a Valentine's gift. So I found this gold bracelet at Burdines. Now, if you remember Burdines, then you are old school Florida. But I found this uh, gold bracelet at Burdines for 250 bucks. Now, Carrie and I had only been dating for two weeks when I found this bracelet. So I put the bracelet on layaway. Now, I know I'm dating myself. This is back before the printing press and other things. But um, so I paid everything that I could. I think I put like 50 bucks down on this bracelet. And then every week I'd go to Burdines and put money and trying to get it. Layaway, if you're not aware what that is, it's like when you buy something, but the store holds on to it, you're basically reserving it. Essentially, it's like putting your stuff in prison. And then you kind of keep paying money until it gets paroled and then it comes with you. And so anyway, um, I got it out of layaway prison before Valentine's Day. I gave it to her. She loved it. And I was the hero of our first Valentine's Day. But here's the thing that I've been thinking about is that if someone were to come up to me after a church service and say, Pastor Bob, I've been dating this girl for two weeks and I want to buy her a really expensive gift. I would, have, I would say, no, that's irresponsible. Your relationship isn't there yet. But see, that's the thing about love is that love doesn't care about your budget. Love isn't reasonable. Love isn't thinking about measured responses. Love simply wants to express itself and show the object of your love how much he or she is loved. Because whenever you want to know who or what it is that you love, you simply have to follow what you're willing to be unreasonable for. I remember when I was in high school, sleeping outside of Sunrise Musical Theater, which is now a church, by the way. But I remember sleeping outside all night with a bunch of my friends uh, because they had a Ticketmaster booth there and uh, waiting for 10 a.m. on a Saturday for Metallica tickets to go on sale. And so we slept on the sidewalk, totally unreasonable, but when you love Metallica, that's what you do. I remember driving 900 miles to pick up my wife from college because she got pneumonia. Totally unreasonable, probably listening to Metallica on the way up. And so now, here's why I tell you all of this, and this is what's so important. We've been in this series for the last few months now called Kingdom Come. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke. 
We started at Christmas talking about the birth of Jesus. We're taking it all the way to Easter, talking about Jesus, his resurrection as we celebrate that. But today, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and we're getting close to the last week of Jesus's life. And as he's on his way from the northern part of Israel down to Jerusalem, he's confronted by a guy who, on the outset, has everything that we would want. In fact, three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all reference this story. He's called the rich young ruler. Now, the reason he's called the rich young ruler, we're not, never given his name, but he's called the rich young ruler because Matthew records that he was young, Mark records that he was rich, and Luke records that he was a ruler, and you put it all together, shake it all about, and then you get rich young ruler. And so he finds Jesus and asks him an amazing question, and in typical Jesus fashion, Jesus answers the question by asking a deeper question that he wasn't thinking about at all. And, and, and what's so jarring for us about this story is that we would never answer the question that he asks in the way that Jesus did. In fact, if I were to answer the question in the way that Jesus did, I'd probably be called a false teacher. You'd be called a weirdo. And, and, and yet, Jesus, seeing what we don't see, sees a deeper issue and calls him to be unreasonable in how he proves his love. And honestly, that's when things begin to fall apart. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke uh, chapter 18. And so if you have the Calvary app, you can get the outline there. And uh, you'll have, where, wherever you're watching this, um, there's going to be a place for you to take notes. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18. And it says this, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher... What shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, Luke identifies this man as a ruler. What does that mean? It means that he was a ruler of the synagogue. Now, synagogue rulers were in charge of synagogue services. They were in charge of who conducted worship, who spoke in the services. That meant that he was a respected member of the Jewish community because what people heard and experienced in weekly synagogue services was due to his management. He approaches Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus stops him because he has stumbled on a truth. Jesus presses him a little bit and he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Or do you believe that God and I are of the same essence that I'm God in human flesh, is that what you're, what you're going to? And then Jesus begins to answer his question and says, uh, well, keep the commandments. And he quotes commandments five through nine of the 10 commandments and all the commandments that deal with our relationship with one another. Strangely, Jesus does not mention commandment number 10, which is not to covet. We're gonna deal with that one in just a moment. But he says that he's kept these from his youth or literally in the Greek language is he says that I have been vigilant to keep these from my youth. Now, here's what you have to understand. Rulers of the synagogue were usually older men who were respected in the community. The fact that he was a young man 
And he is now at this position of influence, shows his leadership ability, his ability to administer large groups of people. This young man has everything going for him. He's young, he's influential, he's wealthy. And in that culture, these were the markers that every person would look on and say, this person is loved by God. And and it was understood that if you were rich, that you were loved by God. If you were healthy, you were loved by God. If you were influential, you were loved by God. Conversely, in that culture, if you were poor, sick, and unknown, it meant that you were cursed by God. And so this young man is really showing up saying, hey, good teacher, how do I inherit eternal life? And he's, he's expecting Jesus to commend him saying, you're doing everything right. I wish everyone was like you. That's why you're blessed. Eternal life is yours. You've earned it. You've done it. But instead of telling him that, Jesus throws him a curveball. And that's what we see in the next verse, in verse 22. It says, so when Jesus heard all these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. Now, Jesus in one sentence exposes this man's heart. He tells him to obey the 10th commandment of not coveting and he simply can't do it. And there's something powerful here when you understand the narrative of the story. A lot of times what happens when we, uh, especially for guys like me who are Bible teachers, is that we zero in on a text. And if we can kind of step back and look at the narrative that Luke is telling us from like a 35,000 foot uh, view and, and see how this story flows in context to every other part, the section before it, the section after it, and Luke's gospel, we realize that there's a point that Luke is making. And I'm telling you, I've been teaching the Bible for most of my adult life. And this is something that I didn't notice until I was studying for this message. The Bible has this way of putting people next to each other to show a contrast, to show a juxtaposition. See, um, and, and, and if you don't realize what's that this is happening until you read it, the whole thing in, in context. When we read the story, Jesus is walking towards Jericho because he's headed to Jerusalem because the Passover is coming. And so in just a couple of days will be the triumphal entry, what we call Palm Sunday, and then uh, the final days leading to his arrest, trial, uh, death, burial, and then ultimately his resurrection. He has this interaction with the rich young ruler that doesn't go very well. And then he gets to Jericho. He meets another man whose name is Zacchaeus. Here's what, once again, the next interaction he has with this young man, uh, this, this man named Zacchaeus, look, listen to what it says in Luke 19. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now this is the second wealthy guy that Jesus is meeting. Both are excited to meet Jesus. Both are excited to interact with him. But look at what happens in verse three of chapter 19. It says that he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, and when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now the differences between the two are very clear. 
The rich young ruler was loved and respected because of his position within the synagogue. Zacchaeus was reviled in the community because he was a tax collector. He was seen as a traitor to his own community because he was conspiring with the Roman Empire. But look at what it says in verse 8. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now we really see the difference. Jesus never asks Zacchaeus for anything. Zacchaeus simply says, I'm giving away half my stuff to the poor and the other half I'm going to make right if I ever cheated anybody out of anything. Zacchaeus did what the rich young ruler wouldn't do without being asked. And here's why. Because love makes you do unreasonable things. And this is what Jesus is getting at with the, with the rich young ruler is that his possessions possessed him. His stuff owned him. And the fact that he couldn't give anything up simply revealed it. Now, we'd never answer the question if someone came up to us and said, how do I inherit eternal life? We'd never answer it. Uh, hey, keep the commands. Oh, I do that. Well, then give all your stuff to the poor. That's the one thing you're lacking. We'd never answer that question. Why? Because you can't buy eternal life. That's why the rich young ruler asked the question, how do I inherit eternal life? He understands that salvation is a free gift that's offered to us by God. But Jesus, knowing his heart and his motivation, reveals what none of us could ever see on our own, that his possessions were the master in the relationship. Understand, it is amazing to me that Jesus never asks anyone else to do this. And by the way, Jesus never asks this young man to give, to sell everything and give all the money to him. Instead, that's not the point. He's like, I want you to sell it and just give it away and then come follow me. Be one of my disciples. Be one of the 12. We'll make it the 13 disciples. But see, Jesus is saying, I want you to give away the thing that really possesses your heart, the thing that really possesses your affection, the thing that you're willing to be unreasonable for. Because what we are willing to be unreasonable for is what reveals what we truly love. A couple of weeks ago, I went out to lunch. This is a typical thing we do. We usually go out to lunch on Fridays. And um, not at Fridays, on Fridays, because who goes to Fridays? So here's what happens. We go out to lunch. My eight-year-old daughter, Olivia, orders chicken tenders, which I'm thrilled about because she is the only one of my kids still ordering from the kids menu. And so I ordered a ribeye steak cooked Pittsburgh and rare. You know why? Because well done is what Jesus says to his servants, not to steak. Anyway, um, my daughter Livy says, can I try a piece of your steak? I say, sure. She tries it. She's like, wow, that is amazing. Can I have more? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know if your mom wants you to eat meat that's this rare. I mean, you might get ill. I should probably just eat it on your behalf so you don't get sick. And, uh, and then she says, dad, hand it over. I got three bites of the steak and she downed the whole thing. And, and now typically when my kids ask me for food, I tell them that it's spicy. And then they're like, oh no, I don't want it. Yeah, it's very, this ice cream is very spicy. And so, um, but Here's what, and now if they want cauliflower rice, I'm like, take it guys, you have whatever you want. But here's what happens, right? This is what happens when we're asked for something that's got our heart, is that it's a struggle to give up something that has our affection. Unless the thing that we, that the person asking is someone that we love more than the thing that we're being asked of. What's the point of the story? What is Jesus asking of us in light 
of this story in, in, in light of what he asked the rich young ruler. There's three things I want to tell you as we close. The first is this, that Jesus is looking for total surrender. Here's what happened. This rich young ruler, this kid says no to the kingdom of God because he had a stronger love for his stuff than he did for Jesus, who he thought was a teacher. That's why he came to Jesus in the first place. And, and listen, and I know that we think that well, that can't happen to us, but it happens all the time. Listen, um, and I'm not talking, this isn't like one of these messages where it's kind of like a secret message about giving. This is a message about what has your heart. Listen, sometimes we buy a boat, a second home. We can't go a month without visiting Disney World. And then there's these opportunities that we have to, to serve, to help others, to build the kingdom of God. And we say no because we can't change our plans like this kid. And, and, and let me tell you what happens. The kingdom of God moves on without us. It's not like the kingdom stopped because we went to Epcot. No, instead what happens is, is that the kingdom moved on. God was still doing amazing things and we are the ones that simply missed out on the opportunity. Jesus is giving this kid the opportunity of a lifetime. I want you to be one of my guys. I want you to be one of my disciples. This thing, I want you to sell everything and come follow me. That's what all of his other disciples had already done. They left everything and followed him. Jesus is giving him the same opportunity and he missed it. He had an opportunity to live a life that was bigger than him. Because listen, if we were being honest, there came a moment when all that stuff didn't matter anymore. Today, all that stuff doesn't matter. And he had this moment and he missed it. And he didn't even realize that the stuff wasn't fulfilling him. That's why he came to Jesus in the first place. Here's the second thing I want you to know is that Jesus wants you to seek out joy. He wants you to seek out joy. Jesus said, I have spoken these things to you that your joy might be full. I want you to notice in verse 23, it says when he heard this, he became very sorrowful. You know why? Because being a hoarder and a stockpiler never brought anyone joy. Listen, nobody's opening their garage and looking at their toilet paper empire and feeling fulfilled. Because here's what happens if we're being honest. When we seek things, it's not the thing that we seek. There's something deeper that represents, that's represented by the thing that we're seeking. Let me tell you something, and this is, and I know I joke around about it, but let me be serious. We're not seeking toilet paper. You know what we're seeking? Security. We're seeking to control something when our lives feel totally out of control. The problem is, it's never going to do it. This situation that we find ourselves in as a global community has shown us how little control we have over anything. That's why we need a closer walk with Jesus now more than ever, because everything that we're looking for is found there. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, and if you've been part of Calvary for any length of time, you know that uh, I quote this book all the time. Mere Christianity was uh, required reading when I was in college. But he said this, he said, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. That's why there's this counterintuitive thing that happens in our lives that the rich young ruler missed completely. That our happiest moments, and think about this, 
in your own life. You know this to be true as much as I do. Your happiest moments in, in life have been moments of service and moments of generosity. And, and you realize this, we realize this, that you and I aren't gonna be remembered for what we had, but how we leveraged what we had for others. In fact, that's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Why? Because possessions will possess you if you aren't careful. But if we make following Jesus and putting the kingdom of God first, our primary objective, all these other things will be added to us and the joy that we've been seeking will find. Here's the last thing, is that Jesus is looking to change my perspective. You know, if this rich young ruler had listened to Jesus, the reward would have been greater than anything he could have possibly imagined. I mean, think about these disciples, Peter, Andrew, John, James. These are the names that we've been naming our kids for the last 2,000 years. This guy would have had an enduring legacy. Whatever his name was, we probably would have ended up naming our kids that. And listen, he would have had a legacy that lasted for generations. And he gave it up because he couldn't stop hoarding his stuff. And this is a, becomes a very sad story when your perspective changes. And listen, Jesus wasn't asking him for anything. Jesus was trying to set him free. A couple of weeks ago, now if you don't play guitar, this might not seem like a big deal, but a couple of weeks ago, um, I got connected to this guy that was going to sell my dream guitar, uh, which is a 1964 reissue custom Fender Strat. And all I had to do was trade one of my guitars, which is a 2012 Gibson ES-335 in cherry red. If you have no idea what that is, you watch Back to the Future, that's the guitar that uh, Marty McFly is playing at the end of the movie. Anyway, which I was happy to do. That Strat was worth twice what my 335 was, and um, I like the way the Strat plays better, and I'm convinced that I play guitar better when I'm playing that guitar. That might not be true, but I'm believing that. So I had planned, we had gone out of town, and I was planning to meet up with the guy when I got back into town. And, and while we're driving home, my wife says to me, you know, Mia, that's my 13-year-old daughter, she really loves that red guitar. That's the ES-335 in cherry red. They just call it the red guitar. Anyway, she really loves that red guitar that you like. And you know, she's taking guitar lessons. And, and maybe that's a guitar that you could give her someday. And, and so my initial reaction, because I'm a loving father, was like, no, 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 she doesn't need a guitar like that. I have a really cheap guitar that I can get her, and, uh, and then I'll give her that. And, uh, and as I was saying that, I, I just, I knew, I knew what I had to do. And so we got home, and I, I called the guy, and I'm like, hey, man, it's not going to work out. Um, my, my daughter wants the guitar, and um, I'm about to do something really loving and really idiotic, and uh, all at the same time. And so... I, I go in and I tell my daughter Mia and I'm like, hey, listen, um, you're learning to play guitar and I want you to know that when you learn, um, it's yours. And, uh, but you're not getting it until you're good. Like John Mayer good, until then it's mine. But when you get good, it's yours. And, uh, and, 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 and here's why. Because love is unreasonable. And that's what God is looking for from you. Do you know why? God would become a man and 
accept and deal with and suffer the way he suffered and die at the hand of his own creation, you know why he would do that? Because love is unreasonable. And listen, and you know this, and maybe this is just what we need to be reminded of, is that when you love the right things and you are unreasonable towards the right things, joy follows. Unspeakable joy follows. And that's the thing that we've been seeking all along. And it's the thing that God has been seeking to give us all along. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that very fact that you loved us. You proved your love by sending Jesus to die for us. And so we pray that we might be an unreasonable people in how we love. And that we might have the joy that you promised us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.